One of the challenges of instructional coaching is finding affordable, specialized training that's designed just for you. That's why I'm excited to share an online event with you that's right up your alley. SIBME is hosting a free online conference all about instructional coaching called Better Together. It's a one-day virtual event with dynamic keynote speakers, including Jim Knight, and breakout sessions designed to help you grow as an instructional coach. Head to sibme.com slash buzz to register for this free event. That's S-I-B-M-E dot com forward slash B-U-Z-Z. Sibme, changing the way people learn at work. What's your instructional coaching personality type? Have you ever wondered what superpowers make you a really strong coach and what areas you could strengthen a little with a little direction? Well, now you can find out. I created the What's Your Instructional Coaching Personality Type quiz to help you answer this very question. Just head to buzzingwithmissb.com slash quiz with a capital Q to take the two-minute quiz and get your coaching personality type sent right to your inbox. Even better, you'll get a playlist of podcast episodes that are handpicked just for you to help you hone your superpowers and strengthen your areas of growth. I'm so excited to share this quiz with you, so don't wait. Go to buzzingwithmissb.com slash quiz with a capital Q and learn so much about your coaching self. Hey coach, are you new to coaching? Starting out as a coach can be incredibly overwhelming, especially when you aren't given much direction from your administration. That's why I created the new coaches playbook. It includes a roadmap to help you start building your coaching foundation and a guide to seven podcast episodes in order that will give you the steps and ideas you need to build relationships, define your role, communicate with your admin and make a plan to start coaching. Grab it today for free at buzzingwithmissb.com slash new coach and save yourself so much time and stress. You're listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast, where we believe that every teacher deserves a coach, and every coach does too. I'm Chrissy Beltran, an instructional coach, resource creator, and coffee enthusiast. And I'm your host. Stay tuned for practical tips and honest coaching talk that will help you coach with confidence. Hey, coach, and welcome to episode 149, Coaching Early Childhood with Michelle Gonzalez. This month, we're digging into specialty coaches, coaches who work with special groups of kids and teachers. In our last episode, we talked about coaching SPED teachers. And in this episode, we're talking about coaching early childhood. Working with the youngest of students is such a special skill set. And so I'm looking forward to chatting with our guest, Michelle Gonzalez, about how to support teachers and schools in this work. Before we get started with the episode, I want to give you a little heads up on uh, a couple things that are going on. One thing that I would love for you to do is to join my new Facebook group, Instructional Coaching with Ms. B. You can search for that on Facebook and I should pop up. And the idea is that we're going to do some really cool stuff before the school year starts there. I'm going to have a really cool challenge to help you get ready for school. So definitely join that new Facebook group um, because I am really excited to share that with you this summer. I also have a lot of um, really exciting things coming up in the fall for coaches. And the thing is, if you only listen to the podcast and you're not getting my emails, you might miss out on some of those things. So the easiest way to join my email list is to go to buzzingwithmissb.com and click on VIB coaches. You'll just become a VIB coach. 
the IB, <laughs> and you will be one of my favorite people and you will be notified when the important things are going on. You will get the codes for the sales on Teachers Pay Teachers. You will get um, access to free things that I send out every now and then to tips about how to improve your coaching work. And you always know what cool events are happening in the instructional coaching world. So definitely head to buzzingwithmissb.com and join that email list so that I can let you know what's up. So let's welcome Michelle to the podcast. Thank you for joining us today, Michelle. Thank you. Uh, can we get started by you introducing yourself to our listeners, talk a little bit about who you are, how you ended up here, and what kind of work you focus on? Sure. My name is Michelle Gonzalez, and I am an early childhood special education instructional coach and specialties in dual language. So I, I've been in education for 12 years. I've taught everything from third grade, kindergarten. I've spent the last um, eight years in preschool. And of those eight years, I've been the early childhood coach here for two years. Um, I like to say that I am a dual language, maestra bilingüe de corazón. So I am a bilingual teacher by heart. Uh, that's always what goes at the forefront of everything that I do. But I love how I've been able to incorporate early childhood and special ed into um my coaching and learning these past years being a coach. Um, I'm also a sequential bilingual learner, so I did not learn Spanish as a first language, but I've been able to add that in since junior high and um, just join in the dual language um, aspect as I as I've grown and learned as a coach. I love that. My daughter is in a um, dual language pre-K right now. Um, she's, uh, we're fortunate we live in El Paso, Texas. And so we have a lot of access to um, Spanish programs. And so um, we're fortunate that she is a monolingual English speaker in that dual language program, um, working alongside kids who are monolingual Spanish speakers, and they're both learning the other language, which is just fantastic. I love it. But that's so awesome. <laughs> yeah. It's like my favorite thing about her pre-K. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I've enjoyed seeing the growth that they've made. Yeah, I can, I can imagine an early childhood that it is, I mean, having a special ed background and a dual language background is probably really helpful, especially in early childhood, mm -hmm. because this is their first exposure to school. And you are kind of like figuring them out and helping them, you know, navigate mm -hmm. this new environment and having the, that skill set is really helpful um, to work with kids who are just new to this whole thing. Yeah, it's bringing in those dual language strategies as well as special education strategies. Mm -hmm. It's like an all-encompassing wealth wealth of knowledge that you bring to the table to be able to support those little learners. Mm -hmm. Love it. So what is so special about coaching early childhood? I was thinking about this and mm -hmm. I have to say that early childhood, whether you're coaching, teaching, staff member in the building, whatever role you have, it is unscripted improvisation. <laughs> it is spontaneous in the moment, quick on your feet, on the spot. And so really having those solid backgrounds in dual language and special education and having that core content knowledge of like, how do I differentiate? How do I individualize? How do I strategize and, and team with the teacher, the psych, the social worker? Bringing all that to the table is what makes it so special about early childhood is that you get to take all of your wealth of knowledge, but use it in a very spontaneous um, moment because a lot of times you're helping 
very much in the moment. Um, you know, toddlers don't usually tend to like to script when they're going to have their behavior moments. So you have to be able to problem solve with the team on the moment. Yes, that's so true. I have a, a two-year-old, she turned two in March and a five-year-old and um, yeah, it's unscripted. <laughs> it's unscripted <laughs> and you're right. You are definitely thinking on your feet and trying to find any, like, how can we get through this moment in the best way possible? Um, and you're pulling in all your strategies, you know, using your robot voice, using your, you know, let's play a game, yeah. whatever you've got. Yeah. Um, and because you also want them, you're, you're there to help them learn. But part of that learning is is how do we operate in this environment? How do we manage our feelings? And mm-hmm. it's so essential. And I think the work of early childhood is so important because we are setting those kids up and they come from home and they're all different in the few, the short time that they have lived, they are already so wildly different, right? Cause they come with already this mm-hmm. genetic personality and then mm-hmm. on top of it, their experience. And they are just so, um, they're, they're all over the place. Right. And we are trying to give them, we're trying to set them up to where they can be successful. And it's so, it's so instrumental because if we can do a good job there, then they're, they'll have opportunities, you know, over time. It's just so great. Yes, definitely. What do you think is the most important thing about early childhood education? Like if you had to say, this is what we, this is what we need to focus on the most. This is what we need to, you know, what is the most important thing that we're doing at that time in that age group? I think what I've learned so much about early childhood education, and I love that we have this opportunity in in our preschool building and in working with those early learners is that everything is an integration. So we are incorporating social and emotional Mm self-help skills, language and content within a context of learning routines and play. It's not taught in isolation where it's a math time or a science time or a writing time or a reading time, but when they're coming as young learners, everything that is brought to the table is learning for them. So we get that special opportunity where we get to really focus on developing their play skills. And then within their play skills, we get to incorporate, how do I calm my body? What is the feeling and emotion that I have? And how do I use the language that I have? Or how do I scaffold that language so that I can learn that language along the way to, and in order to express myself and, and be able to share, you know, those thoughts and wants and needs that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, my other favorite part, which there's so many great things about early childhood, but you get to see, because they are usually in your program for two, two and a half years, um, you get to see that that growth and that fostering of confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, and it leads to the independence, you know, whether that confidence is in the routine skills or in their language skills or their play skills. And you get to see so much growth happening. We know that they're just sponges when they're at that young age. And we get to see so much growth happening when they're here in our, in our building. Yeah, that makes so much sense. I, you know, I think about, um, I taught older students, I taught, um, fourth grade and third grade whenever I was a classroom teacher. And then as a parent seeing my, you know, infants, toddlers and, you know, seeing the way they learn, it's so, the learning is so obvious. It's like huge. Mm -hmm. Everything is huge. 
the, their language, they can't say it and then they can, or they can't mm-hmm. say it, but they can sign it or they can just, and like everything that they do is so big, if that makes sense. And it's like this tiny yes. incremental learning, but it looks enormous because they, they are coming from a place of, they were infants and they were laying there staring like, you know, whenever I, <laughs> I went to take our, our baby from NICU, I remember the nurse telling us, um, I know she's a potato right now, basically, but she will be rolling and moving soon. <laughs> and they are they're like little potatoes. They just kind of lay there and they are squishy, yeah. and they, you know, and then it's just the dramatic learning that happens before they're five is just insane how much it is. And it's, a, it's amazing to see their little light bulbs go off and their eyes get so big and you can just see like, oh, I get it. Like I can yeah. do this on my own now, or I can say it, it, what it is that I want to play here, what I want. And, and I get that. And it's just amazing to see all those connections being made in their brains at that young age. There's so much joy in in learning because everything is new. So it doesn't, Mm -hmm. it's something that, you know, we can take for granted and they are so excited about it. Um, everything is, you know, a child will spend how long tearing apart a little flower to see all the little pieces inside, you know, um, <laughs> and we walk by them all the time and they, they just, they investigate and they're just naturally these curious little investigators and it's so neat. Um, and then, yeah, there's so much pride also. Yes. They're so proud of themselves. You know, one of my daughter, my two-year-old's favorite phrases right now is I did it. And she loves yes. every time she does anything, even if it was like not even a thing, like she didn't actually do anything. <laughs> yes. I did it, you know, <laughs> it's just she's so I, excited. That was one of the phrases that I worked on so much as a classroom teacher with the early childhood was, mm-hmm. um, you know, in Spanish, we would say, yo si puedo, I can uh-huh. do it. And because so many times they come in and it's, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. Or they just stand there and wait for help. And that's that fostering of that confidence and that independence. And you get to see that growth. And then, you know, they stand there and they work really hard and they put their zipper in and they zip it up and they're like, I did it. And, (laughs) and it's great just to see that enthusiasm come across on, on their faces as they're seeing themselves grow and learn. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, and I can only imagine what it's like to see so many kids do that too. Like not just the, the handful that you have at home, but so many, you know, in a classroom, which I was actually just... brings me to my next question, which is what are some of the challenges that are unique to early childhood? And I can imagine like part of that probably is having that many of them in one small space with not yes. probably enough yes. adults. <laughs> yeah. So something that you mentioned earlier was just like, this is many children are coming into the building and they have never left their immediate family before. Maybe they haven't been to even a daycare or been to another caregiver. So that separation anxiety is real. And we see it, you know, when they are laying on the floor crying because they don't want to separate from parents and walk in the door and where am I and what am I doing and why am I here and how long do I have to be here and when do I get to go back to mom? So that is a lot of of the challenges is behavior um, and learning of the routines and structure, especially if they came from a home that didn't have as much structure or routine. And um, I would say also, you know, on paper, we have students who come in the building who are anywhere from ages three to five, but many of our students are coming in with developmental delays or language delays. And even if they are a typical student who's had that exposure to routines and structure, they may not be right at their developmental age level 
all across the board. And so being able to find ways to, to reach them at their developmental age and be able to bring them along and grow them with us um, in all the ways that we've been talking about, those social emotional uh, regulation strategies. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's, there's a, there are a lot of challenges, but um, also quantity. I mean, in my program, we are, we are very lucky that we have about a maximum of 15 students with one teacher and one assistant. But I know of other programs that have um, upwards of 20 students. And of those 20 students, you may have um, anywhere on the spectrum of uh, developmental delays and mm-hmm. language delays to, to students on the spectrum. And so some of those students may account for more students than others and not always having enough hands on deck to be able to provide that one-on-one attention that children, especially at this age need, um, is, is a big challenge. Yeah, that makes sense. And I also wonder about, and I don't have experience in this, but I, I remember my principal, whenever I was a coach, uh, on a campus, she had been a principal at a, a pre-K center and, um, she was talking about how, the, the pre-K teachers who were at schools that ha- were like maybe pre-K through fifth or pre-K through sixth, they were not getting the kind of training that the teachers at the pre-K center were getting because everything was for pre-K. So it was all very developmentally appropriate and they were getting like ongoing support. <laughs> do you, what do you think about that? Have you seen that happen yourself? So my building is blessed that we are a pre-K building and we are mm-hmm. all housed in, in one building um, previously. Uh, about nine years back, the preschool teachers were scattered throughout the district. And you didn't get to see that like honed in um, professional development that you get to see now that we're all in the same building. And you get that that possibility of teaming. And Mm -hmm. if you have a question about how to with any student on any subject level, you know, be it content, academic, language behavior, you have somebody right across the hall that you can go and reach out to them and and get that more focused professional development in the same building together. And and I think it's so critical, especially because because early childhood is unique. I I always refer to us as like we're on our own island, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Early childhood just develops so differently and, and so much more quickly and so much more complex. And so you really need to have that professional development um focused in on what are the needs of the students in your building, the students in front of you, and making sure that the teachers have the skill set to be able to reach those students where they are. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, So what does the majority of your coaching work look like? Where does your time go? You know, how do you spend it? I'm going to talk about coaching in an ideal world because we know that um, times have been crazy and and we're short staffed everywhere. So I have um, been in m- many of our classrooms throughout this year and um, supporting teachers however I can in an almost all hands on deck manner. Mm-hmm. Um, but in an ideal world, in an ideal day of coaching, we get to do um, problem solving and teaming together. Um, we're trying out strategies with those students. I get to go into the classrooms and, you know, whether we're doing, um, I'm going into model a strategy or whether we are. Um, team teaching together the strategy. Um, We get to try it out there in person. We get to come back um, after we've tried out that strategy, we reflect, and then we're constantly revising and coming up with um, more or better or 
okay, plan A didn't work, what's plan B um, in order to meet that student's needs? And I think this year, because we have seen such an increase in behaviors across our building, um, and I'm sure it's not just in my building, but I've heard it from yeah. other early childhood coaches um, surrounding me that, you know, behavior is, is something that we have to come together and, and figure out what we can do to reach these students. So being in that teaming approach and those clear lines of communication are so critical um, when working with those teams. So how often are you finding yourself doing that kind of work right now? I would say um, pretty much on a weekly basis. I, I have a couple of days a week that I am going into classrooms and I'm able to to focus in and do those things. Um, as I said, I, it has been an all hands on deck approach. So the, mm -hmm. the subbing is 100% real and, and it does take up a majority of my time. But even when I am in that in that setting, when I am going in and subbing, I still get that chance to team with the assistant that's in the classroom and and try out strategies with students that are there. Okay, great. Um, yeah, I think that that you're talking about the reality right now that people are dealing with. And you're like, okay, this is a coaching work that I want to spend the time on. This is, you know, what's really happening. Where can I make sure that I am still mm -hmm. meeting teachers' needs and helping them support mm -hmm. students? So what are some of like yes. the reality tasks that you're dealing with right now that are taking you from that kind of work? Um, so we have teachers who are out on maternity leave. They We had one that was out at the beginning of the year, one that's been out at the end of the year. And because I have that special education background and um, dual language background, I've been everything from long-term substitute, fill-in substitute, to case manager for IEPs, to um, not providing specific um, interventions, but like teaching those interventions to the teacher alongside the teacher, and then kind of doing that gradual release approach where then they take on that also. So it, it could be anything from that to just mm -hmm. sitting with a child in the hallway who's having a meltdown for 45 minutes, waiting them out to help them get to their classroom. Yeah. Well, that, that intervention approach that you described with the gradual release model, that's absolutely coaching because that's what the teacher needs mm -hmm. to add to their toolbox. And you are supporting them by adding that tool to their toolbox. And it's not going to benefit yeah. just the kids they have right now. They're going to have that tool forever. They're going to know, oh, yes. I can go back and do that. So that's great. Yeah, I've been trying to find the silver lining. I'm like, I, yeah. I realize that it is what it is and, and let's make the most of it. So how can I coach even within? Yes, even within the chaos. <laughs> right mm -hmm. now, coach coach in the chaos. chaos. Yeah, yes. <laughs> that should be the next uh, coaching book that comes out. Yeah. Um, so what about teachers who are moving into these grades and they do not have experience with this age group? How do you provide support to those teachers? And I actually have a couple of friends who have children in, you know, pre-K this year, they were four, you know, moving up to five years old and they are in classrooms where their teacher taught maybe fourth grade, you know, fifth grade, <laughs> another teaching pre-K. And it has been a struggle. So, yeah. How oh, yeah. You, yeah. <laughs> I I actually have this experience because I okay. started my teaching career in third grade mm -hmm. um, and then I moved down to kindergarten. And even the switch from kindergarten to preschool it was like a light switch day and night. Um, so when I think about, you know, if someone were coming from fourth or fifth grade and, and coming down to preschool, yeah. Think about a simple task that you want to give a student um, or the whole group at the same time. And you need to break it down and then you need to break it down further. And then you need to clearly and explicitly break it down one more time 
to provide those directions and incorporate visuals, hands-on, um, sometimes hand-over-hand support that you need along that way. Um, we're constantly thinking ahead um, because, as I mentioned before, it's so spontaneous in the moment, on your feet. You have to be thinking ahead and have um, that toolkit of all these possible outcomes that could happen if student reacts this way. What am I ready to do to, to help? Um, and coming from third grade, when my students were so independent, moving down to kindergarten, moving down to preschool, mm -hmm. I really saw that critical, critical component of routines and repetition. And, you know, we always say that getting that classroom set up, whatever grade level that you're in, you know, you want to start out the year with your routines and your clear expectations, but in preschool, it's all the more, um, essential because, once they have that routine, they can predict what it is that's coming every day that eases their anxiety being away from parents, and they're able to be more prepared um, throughout their day. Mm -hmm. that, that makes sense. It's it's a safe, structured space. They know what's expected of them, so they're not yes. as, as stressed out walking into that space. <clears throat> yes, absolutely. How do you support teachers who, and we see this at all levels, but I can imagine you see it a lot in pre-K. Um where the teacher is like, well, they should be able to do this, but they can't. Mm -hmm. So like, well, they should be able to follow my directions. They should be able to sit in a chair for 10 minutes. They should be able to walk in a line down the hallway without getting lost. What do you, how do you, how do you respond to those kinds of things? I think taking a look at where they are in their developmental continuum. And what I love about early childhood is that we use the developmental continuum. So we, we are looking at everything from birth to end of kindergarten and where they, where are they, where where is it that you want them to be and where are they actually? And what are, like I said before, you're breaking it down. What are those steps that we need to break it down in between there to get them there? So yes, I mean, they should be able to, they're going to kindergarten next year. They should be able to walk down the hall independently following in line, but they're not there yet. They are at, I know I'm going to the park. How do I get to the park? Do I need to carry a visual in my hand with me to remind me I'm going to the park and not get distracted along the way? Um, and so I think that's one of the important things that we always have to look at is, is yes, here's our goal where we want them to be, but how do we get them there? And what are those supports that we need to put in place to get that student there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have to focus on the scaffolding and then like, like working backwards, right? From like, this mm -hmm. is where, like you're saying, to get them where we want them to go, what is the next logical step to get them to that place? Because we can't just jump to the end goal. Exactly. And I think um, having that sped background again, mm -hmm. um, and we're blessed that everyone in our building does have a background in SPED. So we're all duly certified early childhood and special education. And then some of us are those triple certified with a dual language also. So we do have that. And but there are still occasions where we just have to reference each other and, and check, like, what's going on? Why isn't this person, this student exactly where they're supposed to be? And how do we break it down and make it more clear and explicit for them to be able to comprehend? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, are there any resources that you turn to or that are really helpful for teachers or coaches in the early childhood like arena that you want to share that people can look into if they're trying to learn more? For example, <clears throat> I was a coach at a school and we did not have pre-K, but then whenever mm -hmm. I started consulting and working with um, teachers on my own, you know, I would go into schools and I provide coaching services and, mm -hmm. and PD, um, I did end up working with pre-K as well. And so I had to do some learning there, you know? So what are some resources that could be really yeah. helpful? 
So um, I'm fortunate in um, where I am there. We have like a collaboration of early childhood coaches and we're able to meet a few times a year and just talk about what is going on in the early childhood coaching world. So if you're able to reach out to other districts nearby where you are, or um, it doesn't even have to be nearby you, but it could be like nationwide, you know, um, I know that that's a little bit harder to do, um, but specific tools that I have found so useful because of being in early childhood. And I feel like I live and breathe visuals. Sometimes I wish that I just had a visual printing board maker attached to my head so that I could print out visuals constantly. Um, Autism Little Learners, um, she has a webpage and she's also on Facebook. She has some amazing resources that have um, provided social stories, task strips, sequencing. Um, I I love all of the things that she has given. And she even does like little mini PD sessions, like let's work on making um, books and making them adapted books for our classrooms together. So she'll have little PDs out there too that you can participate in. Pre-K Pages is another um, website and Facebook group that I've I've looked to just to find ideas for scaffolding in, in early childhood. Um, I think early childhood coaching, I, I feel that it's so specific to you know, learning more about from my OTs, from my TT, from my PTs, psychs and social workers who are in-house and and I'm thankful that I have them. But if I didn't have them, I would still be reaching out to other um, teachers in those specialty areas so that I can learn from them. Um, So those would be the ones that I would start to recommend. All right. Great. Thank you so much. Um, I do now get to ask my favorite question, which is what is your favorite thing right now? And it can be anything, a book, a TV show, a product, anything that you're loving right now. I am waiting in anticipation to watch the new Guardians of the Galaxy movie. I am a Marvel fan. (laughs) Um, I even may have like Groot in my office just to remind me to to be childlike at heart and and enjoy those things. So I'm waiting in anticipation for that new movie to get that's to go see awesome. it. Yeah, that's great. That's a good one. Um, I uh, that's my brother and I, my youngest brother. We're my brothers and I are all kind of far apart. My youngest brother is 16 years younger than me, and he lives in the same city as I do. And so whenever COVID was just like the worst, but we were starting to see just family. Um, he would come over once well, he still comes over once a week, but he would come over once a week on Saturday night and do his laundry. Cause he's like, you know, he's like a young guy mm-hmm. and he, <laughs> he would do his laundry. Cause we didn't have to go to a laundromat and he would, um, we watched all the Marvel movies in chronological order. So we started from the beginning yes. and it took us months and months, you know? Yes. Um, and then I, I mean, I had a baby in the middle of it and then we had to pick it up again <laughs> after I was done with that. And, so yeah, it was, um, it took us forever, but it was really a lot of fun. And then we started the TV shows and, you know, and then Absolutely. by the time we were done with all that, there was new stuff, but you know. yeah, that's, that's when I got into it too. It was uh, during the pandemic and I had that time where I could just watch a few in a row and right. get into it. So, and now I'm, I'm hooked and I, I love it. I love the different story plots and I could, I could do a podcast on that. <laughs> That would be fun. (laughs) Well, that's awesome. So how can people find you if they want to learn a little bit more about this? You know, is there anywhere that you share this information with them? 
Sure. So um, I actually started just a year ago, I started a Facebook group and it is hashtag early childhood instructional coaches. Um, And we have grown, we have a couple hundred members and we're just sharing and resources together. Um, A lot of it is share your wealth. You know, you find a great resource or something that could help with a different strategy where we're sharing those on there. Um, and then I'm also on Teachers Pay Teachers and Twitter um, at Mrs. Maestra. So those are the two different places that you can find me. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here today. I'm so excited that I could join and be a part of it. It's, I feel like it's been a great, I've learned so much from you when I started coaching two years ago and now to kind of come back around and get to share is, is a really awesome opportunity. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. You know, as a teacher, the little ones did not look interesting to me. <laughs> to be completely honest, I was a fourth grade teacher and I love that grade level. I taught third for one year and I did not love it. Um, but whenever I look at the, the kinders walking down the hall, I'd be like, they're adorable from over here. But now I don't want to say, but now. And now as a parent, I do love, you know, my little, my, my preschool babies, but um, I don't think I'd want to teach them. I think that takes a special person. And so I think it's so interesting to see the learning and I love it, but that's in my own kids. You know, it's different whenever you're working with a crowd of children instead of just like two of your own children. So I think that's just so interesting um, to learn more about preschool and and it is so important. So if you do pre-K work, good for you. Next week, I'm chatting with another specialty coach. We're going to talk to Risa Woods. She coaches ELL and ESL teachers. And because this group makes such a, up such a huge population of kids in our schools, I'm really looking forward to my chat with her. If you are wanting to define your coaching role and figure out what kinds of coaching work you really want to do, you can grab my free coaching role webinar at buzzingwithmissb.com slash episode 149. If you scroll down, enter your email address in there. That's a great way to get added to my email list, you know, what's coming up and to get that free coaching role webinar. So grab that. And until next week, happy coaching. Thank you for listening to buzzing with miss B the coaching podcast. Want more coaching ideas? Check me out at buzzingwithmissb.com and on Instagram at buzzing with miss B. If you love the show, share it with a coach who would love it too, or leave me a review on iTunes. It's free and it helps others find this show. Happy coaching. Happy coaching.